Baskin's emerging tech and venture capital practice is comprised of 80-plus dedicated legal professionals across the Canadian market. We're deeply involved in the startup ecosystem and have worked closely with founders from startup to scale to exit. Our team is a leading Canadian law firm for VC financings and tech M&A and act for many of the best-in-class startup and scale-up innovation-based companies and entrepreneurs in Canada. Given this experience, we understand market trends and can assist in guiding your company forward as you scale. We take a holistic and strategic approach to helping our clients achieve their goals and provide the full suite of services including corporate, corporate finance, M&A, commercial, IP, data and compliance, employment, tax and beyond. We are excited to help the next generation of unicorns. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind-the-scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Akash Vaswani. Akash is a general partner at Velocity Fund. Velocity Fund is a pre-seed fund spun out of the University of Waterloo to invest in world-changing companies at the earliest stage. In this episode, we discuss what makes you Waterloo founders so strong, co-op program, professors owning their IP, success breeds more success, and even more. We also discuss why the University of Waterloo produces such strong founders, why they're their fourth largest feeder school to Y Combinator, and where founders should build in Canada or the United States. Please enjoy my conversation with Akash Baswani. Akash, I think an interesting spot to start for the conversation is you went to University of Waterloo yourself, went through that co-op experience, RIM, Apple, a lot of interesting spots. I'm just kind of interested what that experience was like for you firsthand. Starting with with my experience, uh, you know, I I joined the University of Waterloo as a freshman in two thousand nine, uh, and had no idea what startups were. Um, I uh, I was very much into robotics in in high school and uh, came here to join the mechatronics engineering program. Uh, and my 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 career path uh, that I had planned for myself at the time looked something like you know graduate with a degree, go get my professional engineering, uh, like PEO, um, kind of get, 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 get on that train and go get a job, probably working on something to do with cars or something to do with like early robotic stuff and, um, can have a much more, a, a much more kind of, uh, stable, uh, and normal career as far as anyone's uh, has a normal career. Um, and kind of coming here in 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 my second year, uh, well, so there was there was a few things that happened. Uh, my first co-op job was with was with BlackBerry, but it was with a startup that had gotten recently acquired by BlackBerry. And there's a whole story about how that happened, but it was really my first exposure to, oh hey, these three founders, um, you know, you know, um, started their company uh, and they wrote some code. And then they hired some staff and then they were able to sell it for millions and millions of dollars. And that's cool. Uh, didn't really realize that was a thing people could just do. Um, and uh, that was kind of like what, what, what opened my, eye, my, my eyes to, to, to kind of uh, startups and, and how, how, how that world worked. Um, and uh, at the same time, in, in 2008, Velocity had started off as a residence on campus. And I was, I was aware of that. Uh, I had had some friends who had gone through the program, uh, and so uh, a couple of years later, I I applied to the program and I got in, um, and I, I moved into the Velocity residence, and so I spent my first year kind of just like any other engineering undergrad student. But then starting my second year, I got pretty heavily into the startup scene over here, where uh, you know we were constantly at the time working on projects rather than than companies. Um, in, in, in retrospect, you know, it was stuff like let's create a Dropbox uh, 
like uh, interface for Facebook, where you can drag and drop photos onto a folder, and those would get automatically updated and then synced with Facebook. Like a really cool hackathon project, uh, a nifty idea, but not really, not really a startup. Um, and then towards the end of the year, we kind of launched what was what was my first startup, and then uh, which was called Crouton Labs. Um, and uh, yeah, and then that point, I took a co-op term off to to kind of start working on startups when I was halfway through second year. I'm curious though, you mentioned like a few things with kind of like an underlying thread of just like that unlock, right? Like being at BlackBerry, unlock there, you know, being around different types of students at Velocity, a little bit of an unlock there. Do you think like that's just really the, the power of Velocity, maybe University of Waterloo underlying there, just like, hey, like I'm a young student, talented, coming into this degree, probably like thinking I'm going to go work at this big company, but I kind of get involved in this entrepreneurial side of the school and it just like unlocks things for me. At least that's how it worked for me. There's a fairly large number of incoming students into Waterloo today where they're choosing to come to Waterloo specifically for the entrepreneurial experience and for velocity. Uh, and those were people like freshmen coming in over the last few years. That wasn't the case for, for me and definitely wasn't the case for most people in my cohort who were coming here for engineering school. And then we got exposed to that. And I think there's like, there's definitely something in the water here. Um, and I've, I've thought about this a lot as to like what, what kind of makes Waterloo entrepreneurial uh, and kind of how is it that we seem to be unlocking those, those ambitions or those opportunities for people at, at a decently high rate. I think it goes right back to the founding and like the founding principles here where like um, all the professors own their own IP. And so the professors coming in here, uh, it, it tends to attract the more entrepreneurially minded professor. Uh, and I remember my, the, the person who was running my program at the day, uh, Professor Betty, would, like, you know, came into class in the first week and he, he was talking about the cool engineering stuff we were going to build over the next five years uh, of, of our schooling. But he was also talking about his experiences commercializing that. Um, and he was talking about uh, projects he had worked on and, you know, this like kind of chasing the dream of a company. And, that, and that's something that professors at Waterloo are, uh, are, are uniquely um, able to do because they own all, all their IP. I think that that kind of filters down um, and, and kind of there's a bit of success breeding success here. Like when, when, I, when I came to school, we were still we were still the Blackberry town. Right. Um, and it was this massive company that was built by a couple students. Right. Uh, it, it felt like that. Um, and there was a sense of like appreciating that innovation, seeing it firsthand. Uh, the, the, the university was very willing to support it. Um, and when, when they started Velocity, it started off with a fairly simple idea of we have uh, a bunch of smart students. Let's just give them access to be able to build things. So it started off with like, you know, uh, smartphones are a new thing. Uh, students could write apps for them, but they can't... Um, but they can't afford smartphones. They can't afford all the, like you need an iPhone, you need Blackberry, you need an Android to be able to test on different platforms. And students can't afford that. Let's just have a bunch of devices on a loan that students can program on to build these projects. And that's kind of how it started. Um, and, but it was always a sense of like, let's try something. Let's see if that, if that works for students. Let's see if that works for the, for the community. Um, and there's a sense of like trying things uh, that kind of is just so deeply rooted in here. Um, and I think for a lot of people, at least at least when, when I was in school, they all have similar moments of like there was an unlock. There was an unlock of either from a co-op job or from the person who was next to you in first year starting a company. And you're like, whoa, that's something people can do. Uh, and we talked to some other people now and it was like, uh, you know, there was like th this um, this person who works for Velocity now was telling me the story of, uh, they, 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 they were previously a founder and they were applying for co-op jobs and then they applied for this job um, at this company that happened to be a Velocity company. And I think they got rejected from the job. But then that founder came and gave a talk on campus and then she had this moment of, oh my God, that person's just like me. That person's two years older than me and they started this company that I, I want to now work for. Maybe I can start 
a company that other people want to work for in the future. Um, and so a, a, a lot of people have kind of similar unlock moments. Um, I think I think it really comes down to kind of like just this entire culture. Uh, and at this point, you know, uh, you're kind of spoiled for success stories that that you can relate to. Um, and I think I think it's especially powerful too that a lot of the successes that have come from here have been kind of immigrant stories in a way. Um, and and then that and that that kind of really helps helps kind of everybody feel like they can they can do it too. So you mentioned the the professor aspect there. I'm just kind of curious about the co-op aspect. You know, U Waterloo is kind of infamous for the this co-op program that they have. I think even just on 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 Twitter X whatever the last uh, a few months ago there was a bunch of founders in Silicon Valley and big in US tech just saying hey, you know, like this program is awesome. Like I would just hire anyone out of this, out of U Waterloo. Can we chat a little bit about maybe what makes that co-op program unique and maybe how that ties in with velocity or other things? Co-op at, at Waterloo is just, is, is legendary. Uh, I'm not sure what I can say that hasn't already been said. But the fact is you graduate from your undergrad, if, if you're in a co-op program, um, and I'm speaking to engineering, that's what I went through. I know it's slightly different in terms of uh, timelines for other programs. If if you're going in to, to to co-op, you do four months of school and then you have to go get your first job. Uh, and what that really means is if you're starting school in September, you're starting your job in January, which means you're applying to that job starting in late September, early October. So from the day you walk in the doors of this of this academic institution, it's like, yes, your academics are important, but what's equally important is that you find a job in three months uh, at 17 with barely any skills. And, and so you, you kick off with going like, what can I actually build? What can I do that I could put on a resume that will help me get a job? Um, and everybody wants to, there's, there's obvious, obviously a sense of competition. People want to get better jobs and people want to stand out from each other. Uh, and especially in engineering, the way, the way you do that is side projects, right? Um, everybody's taking the same classes. Um, for engineering school, yeah, grades kind of matter, but not really. Um, it's like, are you going to hire somebody with an 85 or a 75? Maybe you'd prefer the 85 if there was nothing else different. Uh, but the guy with 75 has some project experience building in something relevant to your field. That's that's the person you want, right? Um, and so kind of coming in, everyone kind of has this like, you you have to be a bit of a self-starter. Uh, and that's just kind of the pressure of the co-op program. More importantly, though, that, that kind of sets you up for, for the rest of your time at university because you're constantly, you constantly want to level up. And as soon as you get that co-op experience, then that levels you up as well, right? And so you're constantly building, but you're building in short four-month bursts. Because you finish a co-op job, you come back to school, and a month later, you're applying for your next co-op job. So you're constantly thinking, what did I learn at that job? What if, well, even when you're at the job, you're thinking, what can I do today that will give me the skills I need to get a better job the next time around? Like this job is paying me $18 an hour, buddy over there got, got, got a job that's paying him $21 an hour, right? I want my next job to be one of those jobs. I want to like about this. And it, it's a small thing, uh, but it forces you to really take charge of your, of, of your learning uh, in a way that's very experiential. Um, and as in being in the shoes of someone who, who then went on to like hire people, like just student graduating with two years of cumulative work experience, where they were constantly upgrading between each of those four month segments, um, I can hire that person and I can just trust that they'll do the job without needing too much training. Like that training period, the first six months of hiring a new grad uh, or the first year of hiring a new grad, that's already been taken care of. This person can hit the ground running. This person can write production code. This person can, you know, like can, can actually make mechanical designs or do any of that stuff at the level of someone who's already been trained as opposed to someone who I'm going to have to invest in for a year before they start being self-sufficient. You have an interesting experience of, you know, Crouton Labs, you worked at Palantir for a bit, worked at a you know a venture fund for a little while. 
what led you to kind of rejoin velocity was that really kind of pulling you back and just kind of curious how kind of all those experiences you you had those experiences as well you know like you did the co-op program but you also went out did a lot of interesting things and then you kind of came back what what brought you back i guess this is going back to your first question that i didn't fully answer i kind of give you a half answer there um yeah, so I, I started Kirtan Labs uh, with with some friends uh, when we were in second year of university. We spent about six months working on it, which included one of our co-op terms. So we did something called e-co-op, which was instead of going getting a job, we were like, we're going to work for ourselves. Uh, Velocity actually gave us $25,000 um, through a pitch competition to be able to fund ourselves as we did that. Um, and so that that was great. Kirtan uh, Crouton Labs failed. Uh, it was uh, it was actually not a bad idea. It was it was fairly similar to another company called Ritual, which kind of came on the scene in Toronto like five years after the fact. Uh, but we were four 19-year-olds and we we kind of didn't know what we were getting into. Uh, we were we were overjoyed when we got our first paying customer and we had revenue uh, kind of three months into the company and we'd built something people wanted to pay for. Fantastic. Uh, and the, the thing we had built was an app that lets you order ahead and go pick up your food later. So instead of waiting in line in places, you can order ahead and just go pick it up. And the idea was like busy downtown areas. We saw people standing in lines. We're like, this doesn't really make sense. Computers can optimize this. Uh, so it was an app that you could order from on your phone. Uh, and actually what it was, it was a no-code tool in 2011 that allowed us to build these apps in like like a day of, of, of compilation, right? And so we could like build a, spe a special new white label app uh, for every restaurant, uh, just uh, after inputting their their menu in, and we would like build a, build build a new app for them. Um, it was a bad idea in the sense of like we later realized that hey, network effects are a thing. This should not have been a white label solution. This should have been everybody on the same platform. Um, but you know, uh, this was 2011, and like Uber wasn't even a thing yet. Uh, or sorry, Uber Eats wasn't a thing yet, and DoorDash wasn't a thing yet. Uh, so these are all learnings we got after the fact. But the big thing for us was we were pumped about getting revenue, and then in that first month we made something like twenty dollars uh, in terms of our actual profits because uh, we were working on a low margins business. So we kind of looked at this and went, like, what would it take to scale this up? It would take something like five thousand restaurants on our platform just to be able to pay ourselves a reasonable salary. Uh, and me and one of my co-founders had uh, had co-op job offers from Apple, uh, and uh, at the time we were like pumped because it was like we get to go down to Silicon Valley. Uh, they're going to pay us thirty-three dollars an hour, and what is that? That's ridiculous. Uh, as a bunch of IT-girls, we were like, I think it's time we shut this company down. Like this is a sort of like scale sales problem that we're just not set up to set up, set up to solve. Uh, but a little bit of that that that, that experience was foundational because. I caught the bug, Evan, and I've never been able to let it go since then. Um, went back to went, went back to school, like went back to doing normal co-op jobs. In my last year, uh, I I tried starting um, a, a, another company called Censorsure uh, with uh, with with a co-founder from, uh, from 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 Edmonton, Samir, um, and uh, I eventually left that company too. But that company ended up getting acquired. Um, and then I went down to Palantir, um, where I worked with them for slightly over two and a half years, uh, initially as um, kind of just uh, a, a kind of data science slash kind of forward deployed engineer position, uh, and and then as a team lead. Um, and I felt like I should have been really happy with that. Uh, I was getting paid a decent amount. I was being put on projects with a lot of responsibility. But there was a sense of... Um, not feeling I'm not feeling like I'm being challenged enough or I'm not feeling like I'm really working for myself. And that was basically how I kind of got back into various forms of working for myself after that, various forms of starting things. Uh, I started a services business, uh, kind of doing data science consulting for a bit. Um, and uh, then when I joined another startup called Curbflow, uh, where I was leading all the tech over there, uh, it was a fairly well-funded startup. It raised like $8 million from like General Catalyst and Initialize and a lot of the Providence Valley Angels. Um, and I, I, as I was kind of wrapping up my time there, Palantir had an IPO. 
uh, I had some money in my pocket um, and I started writing some angel checks. Just uh, the, the idea there was uh, I was looking at kind of the deals other, like I saw VCs doing it, kind of been in and around startups for the last 10 years of my life. Uh, I thought I knew a lot of smart people, did some back of the napkin math with like, you know, what if I'd invested in my successful friends, like people I used to grab beers with uh, three years ago. Uh, and if I just like spread the money out between them, like how well would I have done? Um, and the answer was, was really well. Um, and so I figured I had a decent network. Let me start writing some, some angel checks um, as I'm figuring out what to do next. Uh, and I started doing that, started really enjoying it. I was like, no, maybe I can run a small VC fund um, as a side thing. Like, uh, I'm still going to go get a job, but I'm not quite ready for that right now. I'm a little bit burnt out. I've had uh, 10 years of kind of pushing myself. Let's start this small VC fund on the side. It's going to be a small, like, you know, million dollar vehicle. And um, let's, let's see, let's see, let's, let's, let's see what we can do with that. Uh, and at the time, there was a lot of solo GPs kind of like launching funds on AngelList and kind of doing that alongside their full-time jobs. Uh, and so that's the path I tried to go down. Uh, was able to raise that fund uh, and then kind of start investing from that. And that, that was a fund called Alicorn Ventures. And uh, I realized I loved it. I was having more fun in my job than I'd ever had before. I was learning things at an accelerated pace that I like my, the, the rate at which I was kind of growing my knowledge of how this world worked was so much higher than I had previously in, in, in other jobs. Um, and I was in this like perfect position of like, uh, I'm feeling intellectually stimulated. I love the, I love the idea that I'm going to live and die by the strength of my own decisions. Uh, I love the fact that I'm meeting so many interesting people on an ongoing basis. And I was just having so much fun with it. Um, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to go back to being an engineer. I don't want to go back to like, um, you know, um, going in like building uh, uh, engineering products. It's like, I kind of want to just keep doing this venture thing. It was, I was having a blast. So I started looking at opportunities around doing that in a more meaningful way. Cause like, the management fees from a million dollar fund uh, don't 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 even pay for like your rent for 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 a year. Uh, I was basically just like eating through my savings, and I was I was still kind of comfortable. But I was like, I need to figure out a way where I can do this and actually make money from it. So I considered applying for a few jobs. I think I did apply for a few like principal level positions uh, at, at a few venture funds, um, and. Uh, Simultaneously, as I was kind of investing this this money, um, I, I, I re realized a few things. Um, and this is kind of getting into the Alicorn Ventures story a little bit. My, my thesis with Alicorn Ventures was uh, I've been working in machine learning and data science and data engineering my whole career. Uh, I think I can make better decisions around those fields than people who are non-practitioners can. Um, I'm, I'm pretty deeply... Uh, technical. And so I think, you know, I can, I can do a better job at DD than other people over here. And that can be, that can be a competitive advantage. And the second, the second thesis of that was um, that I can help the founders I invest in with, with those things. I can help them with figuring out their data engineering I can help them with figuring out like, you know, how to tune their algorithms and stuff like that. That was a bit of a flawed thesis. Um, for, for a very simple reason, which is, as I got to it, I never wanted to invest in anybody who actually needed my help. Like, if you were a founder who needed my help figuring out the technical sides of your business, then you were not an investment I wanted to make. Um, and so there was that, that kind of thesis mis mismatch there, which sounds really obvious in retrospect, uh, but I only figured that out as like after I'd raised the fund, after I was like, you know, three investments in going like, hey, I'm not doing what I what I set out to do. I'm doing something different. Um, the other thing I realized was that uh, it was initially focused on kind of investing in these sorts of companies everywhere. Uh, but there was a lot of competition in the States. Uh, and so about half the deals I wanted to get into, they weren't willing to make place for me, even with a fairly small check. Um, 
it was highly it was highly competitive and you had to really stand out and make a case for why people needed to take your money at the same time that was not the world in canada it was the complete opposite thing to have some experience working with with sort of these organizations like i'm by no means like the most the person with the most impressive career um uh but there was there was this kind of gap in the market um in that like all the power state on the VC side versus the founder side. And that to me just smelled like arbitrage. That's that smelled like opportunity going like, well, if there's a lack of capital here, this is the market I want to play in. Uh, this is the market where I can find the best deals in and I can really compete and I can, I can kind of win over here. Like this is, this is a bit of an unfair advantage. Um, the, the, the next insight I found over here, I'm just kind of like just showing my my thinking as it evolved over over like a six month period over here, was that the companies coming out of my old stomping grounds at Velocity and the, the Waterloo ecosystem were different from the other companies I was seeing in Canada. Um, good companies can come from everywhere. I firmly believe that, and and like you know, evidence points to the fact we've had great companies come from Calgary. We've had great companies come from Montreal. We've had great companies come from like uh, Eastern Canada. Great companies can come from anywhere. But I did find that the average level of the, the average majority level of the company coming into this ecosystem was higher. Uh, there was more knowledge around what it actually meant to run a company, uh, what sort of things investors were looking for when you spoke to them, what was considered good revenue numbers, even as like, what is considered a big enough market for a startup? Right. What are considered good growth rates? I found that there was a mismatch between founders, uh, kind of throughout the throughout the country, in terms of their maturity levels going into it, their knowledge levels going into it, and what made a interesting and investable company. And I found that that was kind of the highest over here in Waterloo. Uh, I also found that like there, there wasn't a lot of competition investing in these companies, and so I formed a thesis around. Well, I think I, I think it makes sense to just kind of invest in Waterloo, and then the more I dug into it, the more that that made sense. Um, and so I started engaging with Velocity. The other partner in Velocity Fund was running the incubator at the time, uh, and they had a small a small vehicle as well, a small fund that they had raised, I think, two years ago at, 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 or two 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 years prior, um, and they were you know in the midst of deploying that. And uh, they were thinking about their next fund. And Ross and I had known each other for 11 years when we were, when, when Velocity, the, this incubator space first opened up, there were kind of five companies that joined the space and Ross's company and my company were two of those. Uh, so we'd known each other for a very long time and there was a, lo a lot of parallels in our story. Um, he, he had also gone out of Silicon Valley. He had gone through YC with his company. Uh, then he had gone and worked in, at, at another startup as director of product uh, and then eventually come back over on into the world on the VC side, initially kind of doing application review for YC um, and then kind of like taking over Velocity and kind of working more on the, on the coaching side of things um, and, 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 and running the, the, the small Velocity fund at the time. So after like a series of discussions, after working together on a few deals, we were like, I think it makes sense for us to partner up. We're both going at this alone. There was a lot of staff here, but they were kind of all had their focus, uh, and so we decided decided to kind of join our join our efforts together, raise the next fund together, and then for the money we had from the pre from our previous funds, we would just co invest those all, all the time to kind of avoid the cherry picking clauses at, at the same time, and that's kind of uh, how it came to be that uh, that I came back to came back to Waterloo and Velocity, and um, yeah, kind of for, form form the thesis and then figured out a way to. To execute on that in a better way um and of course like kind of being here means that we get i don't say 100 percent, but we get to see like you know 99.5 percent off the companies from this ecosystem um and i think i think it's uh it really is a big unfair advantage to to be a part of this ecosystem and to be able to just have the privilege to be able to invest in it I really like that angle of that kind of unfair advantage of getting to see majority of the things that are coming out of the ecosystem I'm just kind of curious of, you know, maybe maybe the original thesis or, or how things have kind of progressed on, you know, what are the nuances around what do those 
portfolio companies need? Like when you're making the investment, the stage you're making the investment, is it just really strong connections to alumni of the university that are maybe at, at different companies or founded different companies? And you're just kind of a great connection point for advisors and mentors or even potential like getting their first customer. What are some kind of nuances that you found from that ecosystem and companies you're investing in at that stage? I need to provide a little bit of backstory on, on kind of Velocity's journey throughout, throughout the same period of time that kind of I was growing. So start off in 2008 with the, with the fairly simple idea that we spoke about, you know, give, give students phones. Um, it had some early successes kind of come out of the program. It was able to kind of start the startup program. Uh, it was, and it was the first four years, uh, three, three to four years, it was, still, it was still just a residence on campus. And then around the end of 2011, early 2012, uh, they got they got the incubator, which is they rented some space in downtown Kitchener. And they were like, hey, for the more serious companies, let's get them in here. Let's put them in an environment where they're surrounded by each other. They can learn off each other. And let's give them access to people who can really be mentors and help them grow their companies and, and kind of show them the ropes. Um, and that program has been successful over time and over time the scope has grown and grown and grown and grown so the space that we're in today uh and, and we we are moving to a new space later this year but the space that we're in today is we've just kept breaking down the walls of the kind of offices around us and we've grown from this small little space to about four times the size uh and we're actually moving into to, to a new building that's going to be like 50 times uh, sorry uh, uh, an extra 50 percent increase on that um in the last 15 years, uh, Velocity companies have a total have raised a total of 4.2 billion dollars, with a net equity value of 26 billion dollars. That number is staggering. That number is staggering when you consider the fact that there's about 400 alumni companies, uh, and so that's a fairly small pool of like from, from like from like an incubator perspective. That's a fairly small pool of companies to have a value of 26 billion. And when you, when you look at other incubators or other programs uh, uh, across Canada and across across the world, even um, we're pretty up there. Uh, obviously, like, like programs like uh, TechStars and YC are are much higher numbers, and and but those are like three month uh, accelerators as opposed to kind of incubators you're at. But I think when you start looking at like incubators or even compare start comparing us to like the indie bios and stuff like that of the world, like we 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 bunch a lot above our weight. Um, and so in terms of what these companies need, they're already getting a lot of that. They're getting a lot of that from the incubator. They're getting a lot of that from the campus programming. Uh, and it starts off at the earliest levels of, so let's help you figure out a problem that's worth working on, right? Because, you know, everyone like, like students work on classic student problems, like ordering food for restaurants and figuring out how to move your, move your luggage when you move for co-op. Uh, every turn and figure out how to get cheap housing. Uh, these are classic student torpid ideas that that's what they're experiencing. Those are the hardships they're experiencing in their life, right? Cheap food, cheap rent, finding friends, finding parties. Um, let's move away from those and talk about like, you know, real problems that you can solve that actually have money behind them if you do solve those problems. So we start off at those very basic levels on campus and we go all the way up to, you know, how do you deal with once you're operating company, once you've got some VC funding, once you're at that kind of seed stage, how you're dealing with HR and finance and you know, doing all of that. Oh, you have your 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 meta company and you're kind of stuck on approvals, and this person is kind of like, or this government organization is the blocker. Okay, great. Mazam, our director of healthcare, kind of knows everybody in healthcare in Canada, and we'll call that person up and go like, hey, let's get this moving. Um, and so they're already getting a lot of that from the incubator in terms of what additional stuff we're adding, uh, or where, where kind of we come in is our, our job is really to help on the, on the, on the fundraising side of things. So for all, for all the good things, for all kind of like, you know, the 26 billion number, I think I can, I can speak up a few more facts, which is, I think Waterloo is the fourth largest theater school into YC right after Stanford, MIT, and Berkeley. Uh, slightly above Harvard, uh, but I feel like th those two keep switching. It's always like in one batch, there'll be kind of more Waterloo companies and the next batch there'll be more Harvard companies. Uh, and then there's, of course, it's Caltech and stuff like that. And then there's a fairly huge gap before the next kind of Canadian entrant shows up on the list. Uh, 
And so like there's, there's a fairly like big kind of thing there. I think uh, there was a there was a report by Angelist that was looking at the ROI on invested dollar by founder uh, Alma Matter. And Waterloo founders ranked second on that list in terms of highest ROI. Uh, and so you have all these great stats, but then when you look at the funding numbers, they're just they're just not quite there. There's like a pretty massive delta. Uh, looking purely from like a financial uh, opportunist point of view, that's that's the arbitrage that I think is going to make our fund successful um, because there's a gap in the money for 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 all the other good stuff that's going on. Um, but but that gap in the money is is what, is what we're trying to solve in more than one way. The most direct way is to raise the fund and give give people that money. Um, yeah, we, we can make a buck doing that, but also we're helping them move further, faster with, with their own companies. The second way we can do that is by connecting them with other people who, who can give them access to those resources. Um, so between us, like, since we started working on this problem about, you know, a year and a half ago, a big focus of ours has been connecting Waterloo companies. Uh, and we say Waterloo as in like, not, not just a region, but like kind of uh, in a broader sense, like you Waterloo alumni as well, but all uh, and kind of well, and they could be in Toronto or San Francisco, or wherever. Uh, connecting connecting people, startups in our network uh, with uh, other venture capitalists that match up with you know the sage and the thesis and, and all of that. Uh, and we, we built a fairly impressive rolodex of doing that. I think you know between Ross and I now, like as we've been systematically doing this. We've got something like 500 contacts who work in BC in some way uh, that we have exchanged emails with that we can reach out to and say, hey, we know you do this sort of company at the seed stage. When we know there's a company like that at Velocity, we can reach out and make that introduction. Uh, and it's kind of because that that's the kind of thing which is like, which, which I think is like the biggest delta between uh, any ecosystem in Silicon Valley, which is just kind of like, the the density and the the kind of just like the number of points on that on that social connectivity graph, uh, and it's unreasonable to expect founders in Canada here to be able to to compete with that. Frankly speaking, and so what what we can do is if we can be a fairly big node on that graph, then we can help elevate the founders around us by just making those those introductions when when they're fruitful. I'm just curious with, you know, your involvement at Velocity back when you were a student, you get that kind of perception and now working at Velocity Fun and seeing and having more and more conversations with students. And you mentioned an interesting point there of like some students kind of focusing on solving the student problems, not the kind of the problems that have money behind them. Just kind of curious of seeing so many student founders in that bucket have you kind of identified like a few, you know, traits or certain things like, hey, like this is really clicking and this has really good potential to be successful? The easiest way to tell something is clicking, it's going to be successful is revenue growth numbers, right? Like uh, any, anything that's not that is conjecture in a way. Uh, you, you can try and like find those patterns earlier. But the only time you really know that pattern is real is when you see this amount of revenue this week or this month, and then this amount of revenue the month after, this month of revenue the month after, this month, and it's like it's growing. So you've you've clearly you've clearly figured out something. Uh, in, in terms of seeing what those patterns look like early, we we have identified a few founder traits. If if, if that's what you're asking about, um, it comes down to, and it's going to sound very basic, but it comes down to conscientiousness. Uh, and ambition uh, and being reasonable. And I, I'm going to break those down, right? Um, I, I think I think working hard is table stakes, uh, which is if you're going to do a startup as a nine to five thing, you're just not going to be successful. It's not saying that if you work really hard, you will be successful. I'm saying if you don't work hard, you're not going to be successful. Um, and and it, it sounds kind of silly, but like when, when it, I'll, I'll come into to like our incubator space where we have like 70 active companies, on a Friday night at 8 p.m. And I'll look at who's still working. And I know that they're the ones who are going to make it. Maybe not with this startup, right? 
because we've had a lot of a lot of founders who'll come to Velocity, who'll start something that'll fail, and then they'll go on and then they'll start something wildly successful that turns into a unicorn five years later, right? But this was kind of where they first got their first experience. Um, and so you can kind of tell the people who are going to make it or not just based on how hard are you working? Like, do you really want this? Um, the, the other thing I, I mentioned there was ambition, which is, is what you're working on if ambitious enough. Um, and, and often, often that, 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 that can make the difference and, and that, and that can kind of lead to kind of like the, the conscientiousness aspect too. If you feel like you're working on this, this big problem that if you fit, if you solved it, you're really going to change the world. I feel like that, that can be a huge motivator for, for, for the right kind of person. Uh, and then the last thing is, is, is kind of being reasonable. And what we mean by this is like, you know, a lot of people talk about wanting intelligent founders or investing in like the most intelligent people. Um, it's really hard to measure that. Um, but the, the way that we like to think about it is if we can talk to someone and, um, and they can describe a problem they're having, or they, you know, we, we can talk through a problem and they come up with solutions or potential solutions that sound very reasonable. It just makes sense from like a first principles or sometimes even a common sense perspective, uh, which is I had this problem. I tried this. It didn't work. So I'm going to try ABC in that order. Uh, we find that that's kind of like a, a big, a, a big differentiator between the, the companies that make it and the companies that don't. I'm just curious your thoughts on whether it's grads, whether it's founders, whether they're in the Velocity program or not, or related to the fund in some way, just your thoughts on like the U.S.-Canada debate, right? Like either they're going full-time, Instacart, right? Like going down to the States, starting in the States, building in the States, or is it more important that they stay in Waterloo or Toronto area or somewhere else in Canada and build? Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? I don't, again, I don't really think it's important where that person's building as long as that's successful and they can give back. But like, I, I just want to get your kind of thoughts on that. I know a lot of people in the ecosystem and you know, at the university would love me, would love for me to say something like, it's really important that you build here and here's all the advantages of building here and all that. I don't know if that's necessarily true. My advice to founders would always be to do what's best for you and do what's best for your company. And sometimes the answer to that could be you just leave Canada, right? You just leave and you go down to the States and you build your company there. Sometimes the answer to that question can be, actually, it makes a lot of sense for you to stay here for the kind of company you're building, um, for the kind of support you would get from the various programs over here. And sometimes it really makes sense to say something like, you need a dual presence, right? You need maybe an office there and you need like an office here. And maybe you run all your engineering out of here, but you have your sales team out there or something like that. Um, I think it, it really, it really comes down to the company. Um, I, and I think, I think it really comes down to the industry too. Like if you, if you're building in consumer, it's really hard to make the case to stay in Canada. If you are, sorry, something happened in my video. Uh, yeah. If you're building in consumer, it's really hard to make the case to stay in Canada. If you're building in vertical, like B2B SaaS, frankly, you could be anywhere. Uh, and I think it comes down to, well, where's the lifestyle you prefer as a founder? Uh, where can you hire the talent you need to build for your company? I have seen successful companies be built kind of all around the world in, in kind of vertical B2B SaaS. Um, I think if you're building in anything deep tech, um, there are advantages to maintaining a Canadian presence throughout. So that would be my debate there. In terms of like, the, the other kind of things going on, um, like it's always going to be easier to raise money in the States. Like we're hoping to fix that. Uh, but in truth, even for us raising this fund, right, uh, to three-week trip down to San Francisco leads to more LPs close than like spending a lot of effort locally. I think last question before we jump to the quick fire round, and I'm not really asking you to predict the future or anything, but just the nature of like when you first went to Waterloo, maybe fo people focus more on getting jobs, maybe less so now or a bigger portion of students, more entrepreneurial. 
where do you think the future of like the school velocity, where do you think that goes maybe in a reasonable time frame, maybe within like five years? Do you think that just intensifies? I think it does. Uh, I feel like there's almost a fever pitch on campus now around entrepreneurship. It's the most, it's the most engaged I've ever seen, both in my time as a student and since coming back. I think 2023 was, was, was a fairly big year in terms of engagement with some sort of first for students on campus with some sort of like entrepreneurial activity. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty, as somebody who, who believes that this is a good thing, there's that entrepreneurship and, and, and this sort of thing is a good thing. I'm, I'm fairly optimistic about the direction we're trending in. Um, I think you're going to see in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see a lot more kind of like wins from, from, from the region. I think there's already companies today that I'm looking at going like, wow, you're going to be the thing everybody talks about five years from now, and you're going to be the thing everybody talks about eight years from now. Um, and like, sometimes you just see it click, right? Sometimes you just see the right founder working on the right problem and like revenue numbers just going up and to the right. Uh, I just growing at a rapid pace. You can kind of like, you feel like you can kind of predict the future a bit going like, yeah, things are going to be hard at points, but I'm sure you're going to overcome it. And they're like, I know you're going to be successful at this. Um, so from from like that 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 perspective, I think we're going to have some wins. From the university's perspective, I, I don't think, and I, I'm like I'm speaking for for another organization over here, right? Um, but I don't think they have any appetite to slow down. I think they're they're full steam ahead on this. Uh, they they view entrepreneurship uh, at, at the university level. They view entrepreneurship as one of the core pillars. Uh, and I think that's that's rare for a university, but I think that's going to set like, keep setting them apart. And I think uh, I think I think the best days are still still ahead of us over here. What are you most excited about this year, personally and professionally? Personally, it would have to be um, again just like the the activities I like doing. I've had I had one of like my best weekends on a mountain snowboarding a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've so far gotten like six days in on the season hoping to do a lot more of that this winter and then in the summers i like to go scuba diving and so i've got like a, a couple of trips planned so that's what i'm looking forward to personally uh professionally uh getting this fund launched we're we're gearing towards doing a first close um uh halfway through the year uh and so i'd really like to to, to see that done i think it'd be a huge load of pressure off my back to just move from hey we're launching this fund we've got an anchor investor um we're definitely picking up steam on the LP set, but I'd like to just get to the first close and start writing checks again. Last question from me, but just how do you deal with hard times? You know, that just happens being a founder, just even just being in normal life. What are some things that you do that kind of help that out? I think having a, a, a support system is very important, both personally and professionally. I, I think people tend to tend to have sometimes one of those, but not, but not both. I think I've been fairly lucky that I've had kind of both of those to fall back on, just people I can talk to from my professional life uh, who can share their experiences with me and kind of, you know, help me out at a spot uh, and save kind of like the personal self. So I think just following back to your support system is how, is how you get through hard times. Uh, I, I think having just family or a partner who, who is supportive of what you're doing can, can take the load off things, things a lot. Uh, and uh, on, a, on a more kind of lighthearted tone, uh, peppermint tea is how I deal with stress. That's a good one. I'm going to have to try that out. Last, That was the last question for me. I'd just like to open up the mic to you to chat about anything and leave the listeners with anything you want to leave them with. If you're a founder, like, you know, what you're doing is hard. Uh, tons of respect to you for even being on the journey. Uh, I've been there and it was some of the hardest days of my life. Um, and it was also some of the most rewarding days of my life. And uh, just kudos for you for being on that journey. Uh, but I'd love to ask you a question. You know, you've had you've had a lot of impressive people come on this podcast. You you get to have a lot of interesting conversations. How do you feel about the state of the Canadian tech ecosystem? And where do you see opportunities for? For like small, for for, for for relatively small amount of work that can lead to high leverage outcomes. 
when I say Canadian tech ecosystem, I would also include like Canadians that are in the States. So I'll just say that as a, a caveat. But I'm very excited. I've had conversations with people from St. John's to Victoria who are in SF and New York. And I would, I'd say just like, there's an interesting, I don't know, like, I think you see the news, right? And like, I think the news can definitely trend towards like a negative, negative tone sometimes. But I'm super excited. People are working on really hard things. I see more and more Canadian founders, whether they don't feel like they need to move to the Bay Area. They might need to have a presence there, whether an office or spend time there. But I see them being able to build in like a Toronto area or other ecosystems in Canada. I'd say like the, the, the lightest lift to get the biggest impact would just be connection. I think there's like different ecosystems, whether that's a geography or other institutions are all kind of competing against each other in a subtle way, whether that's, you know, resources from government or subsidies or whatever that may be, uh, or ego. And I'd like to just see it more of like, also again, north, south, north, south of the border debate. I'd really just like to see it as, you know, there's Canadians or people that identify as Canadians or attached to the ecosystem in some way. And we're just, we're just connected, right? Like there, there's Canadians that have built tremendously large businesses and can we just connect them in the proper way to the right founder at the right time, building something on an earlier stage. So I'd say that to me is like the, the, the easiest thing we can do to get the most uplift. Cause I, I do find it's quite fractured when I have the conversations with people in different ecosystems. I thought a lot about this, this kind of like scarcity mindset, which leads to the competition. I think part of it is the mindset. I think part of it is actual scarcity too. I think, I think frankly speaking, mm -hmm. there's just a lot less money floating around here. I think there's things that could be done at, at a policy level to address that, but there's also things that could be done uh, by just enough people caring enough that could be done to address that. A hundred percent. Akash, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on and this was a super interesting conversation and great to learn more about your journey and velocity. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode feel free to subscribe share with friends and reach out with guest suggestions make sure to follow me on twitter linkedin and subscribe to our newsletter on substack to keep up to date